Hello, you're very welcome into NCBI's Technology Podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler. This is episode number 15 for August 2013. It's very nice to be back with you once again. Thank you for downloading our podcast. I hope you're enjoying the summer sunshine in between those very heavy showers that we're experiencing, certainly in Ireland anyway, over the last couple of weeks. Coming up over the next 57 or so minutes, we hear about an Information Technology Day at NCBI on the 30th of August. David Nason's along to demonstrate a new Bluetooth keyboard. Brian Harchton, Neil Jarvis, Donald Fitzpatrick and Kerry Doyle are back with us for another roundtable panel discussion about technology. And finally, I catch up with Eric Damery, Vice President of Software Product Management at Freedom Scientific, who's telling us all about the new features in JAWS version 15. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. Now, starting us off this month, I had a couple of emails, uh, one from Sean Cassidy, who's been in touch with us before. Very nice to hear from you, Sean. And uh, he, amongst one or two other people, were asking, where's the podcast gone? Because the last edition he had heard was April, that being the last edition that was referenced on the main NCBI page. So, first of all, to those couple of people who got in touch, welcome back, because I think you've now been linked to the new podcast feed. We've also put up a notice on the main NCBI homepage to direct people to our new podcast system. So just to remind people again, you'll always get the most up-to-date podcast at www.ncbi.ie forward slash technology podcast, along with show notes. And you'll get our RSS feed at www.ncbi.ie forward slash technology podcast dot XML. We always love to hear from you. And if you want to get in touch with us, remember, you can send an email to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie with any of your comments, suggestions, etc. Albert Brown enjoyed the last edition of our podcast, in particular, our interview with Zurabhi Gupta about the Brailleist uh, iOS app. And he was telling me about an app called Embraille, which he has used, and uh, he rates it very high. And if Albert Brown rates something high, that's uh, more than enough for me. So we're going to try to get in touch with the gentleman who's been developing Brailleist and uh, have a chat with him on a future edition of our technology podcast. Now, I received some information from Colin Kenny in our iOS. IT department, and I will read it for you. NCBI invites you to a focus day for visually impaired people on Friday the 30th of August 2013 from 9.30am to 12pm at NCBI's training centre in Whitworth Road. Demonstrations will be available of the new Optelec Clearview Speech, which is the first desktop magnifier to offer full text-to-speech reading. You can simply use it as a powerful desktop magnifier, and if reading becomes too difficult, press a simple button and it reads aloud any printed text displayed on screen. Try the new Compact HD, designed to be used like a hand or dome-like magnifier, offering stepless continuous zoom and high-definition images on a generous 4.3-inch widescreen. Dolphin Computer Access will be demonstrating Guide, simple talking computer access for seniors with sight loss. Send emails and surf the web. It's all made simple with guide. Or see Supernova's crystal clear magnification with screen reading, perfect for every vision impairment. And finally, if you have a mobile phone, whether it's iOS, Android or Symbian, bring it along with you if you've got questions or you need some help in using a particular feature or function or an app. 
Our mobile phone trainer, Kerry Doyle, will be on hand on the day to chat with you and answer your questions. So we're looking forward to seeing people on Friday the 30th of August at our Rehabilitation Training Centre, the back of the main NCBI building on Whitworth Road, from 9.30am to 12pm. Now, many of us find ourselves using Bluetooth keyboards these days to control our touchscreen devices. In particular, I think, if we need to write a lot using the device. But what has become a problem, and I can speak to it personally, is when you need to use your Bluetooth keyboard to control more than one device. You have to either disable Bluetooth on the device or unpair the device temporarily, and uh, it can become quite a task. Well, David Nason, a listener to our technology podcast, might just have the great solution for us all. Have a listen. Hi, Dave Nason here with a quick demo of the Logitech K760 wireless keyboard for Apple devices. It's a Bluetooth keyboard that will work with your Mac, iPad, iPhone, iPod Touch and Apple TV. Um, In terms of its dimensions, it's uh, very thin and light and portable. Uh, Quite similar, in fact, to the Apple wireless keyboard, if you're familiar with that. It is uh, slightly deeper, maybe an inch deeper, because it has a solar panel along the top. Um, If you're sceptical about the fact that it's solar powered, I was a little too, but actually there's no need to be. It's really good. I've had no problems in the roughly a month that I've owned it. It's always remained charged, so I'm really pleased with that. The keyboard layout is the same as the Apple keyboard, um, although there is an on-off switch in the top right corner. Um, I find that this is a step up from the Apple keyboard, which uh, has a button on the side of it. So uh, I prefer to have the on-off switch. Uh, It's very nice to type on as well. Its um, keys are nicely spaced out and that. So I'm very pleased with the keyboard in that kind of sense. The standout feature, though, of this keyboard is the fact that it can pair with three devices at the same time and switch very quickly between the three. So I'll show you how that works now. I'll start with the iPad. Go to settings. Settings, mobile data, Bluetooth, on. Now there is a small round button on the underside of the keyboard, so I need to press that, followed by the F1 key. I now go to my iPad and find the keyboard. Nokia 300, now discount, no, Logitech K760, not paired, button, Logitech K760, connecting. Same keyboard, same key, Logitech K760, connected, button. And as you can hear, I'm connected. Home. Screen locked. And now we go to the iPhone. 2350, slide to unlock. Settings. And settings. Settings. Wi-Fi. Off. Button. Bluetooth. On. Bluetooth. Settings. Back button. And this time I'm going to press that button on the underside of the keyboard, followed by F2. Logitech K760. Not paired. Button. Again, select it on the phone. Logitech K760. Connecting. Logitech K760. Connected. Button. And again, connected. And we'll now go to the Apple TV. In settings. General. Open button. settings. One of seven. General. Bluetooth. Bluetooth. Button. And go to 616. Bluetooth. And this time we will press button. the F3 21. key. In devices. Keyboard. And select the keyboard. Bluetooth device connected. One of one. Keyboard. Logitech K760. Connected. Button. And two of two. Here, that is now connected. In general. So I can now control the Apple TV with my Bluetooth keyboard. So I press the escape key to go back through the menus. In settings. In main menu. 
On the December edition of our podcast last, we had a very interesting panel discussion. We invited a couple of assistive technology users or gurus, if I may call them that, to come and share their thoughts, not just on assistive technology, it's fair to say, but on technology in general. There was some really good feedback to that discussion. And one of the things we said we'd do at the time was bring these people back again uh, during the middle of the year and see how they're getting on. So that's what we've done on this edition of our podcast. Neil Jarvis joins us from New Zealand, and it's 6am in New Zealand as we're recording. Neil is Executive Director for Access and Innovation with the Royal New Zealand Foundation of the Blind. Neil, you're very welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Nice to be back. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Donald Fitzpatrick is a lecturer in the School of Computing at Dublin City University. Donald, thanks a million for joining us again. Hi Stuart, how are you? Brian Harchton is a software engineer with As Technology in the UK and also co-owner of Team FM, internet radio station. Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be back, Stuart. Thank you very much. And last but not least, and I should have done this first again this time, uh, Kerry Doyle is an assistive technology user and also now doing some assistive technology training in Apple products. And Kerry, you're very welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's nice to be back. So, folks, it's been a, an interesting um, six or seven or so months since we all spoke last. And one of the things we talked about on the last panel discussion we had was this idea of books and reading reading textbooks. And I've been using the Amazon Kindle app for iOS, and I've been reading one or two books with synthetic speech and absolutely loving it. So the Amazon Kindle app, I don't think, was accessible last time we spoke. Any of you guys using it at the moment? Donald? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Brian and, and Neil, I think you guys were saying you're using yes. it as well. 
Yes, yeah, heavily, every it's, day. It's really good. It's a good app. Um, it, it's interesting because one of the things I found when I started using it was these, there's so much more stuff available on Kindle or on Amazon rather than there is on something like Audible. So you, I, do- I was totally amazed. I, as soon as the app became accessible, um, I went onto the Amazon website and I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just have a quick look and see if some of the books that I've really wanted to read over the years that I haven't been able to get in audio format are available. And they were, and I was just so, so pleased about it. We just wouldn't have thought when we were talking about this um, back in December last year um, that they were going to... Uh, give us access to hundreds of thousands of books. And uh, I've read several of them now, and it's just wonderful to be able to do it. Yeah, I would exactly do the same, actually, because um, there were a lot of books um, that I simply could not get in, audio, in audio form from Audible from any other source because they, they're not the kind of thing that they just record in audio. Um, they're mainly sports-related books, autobiographies and biographies, or, or, or that kind of thing of, of, of sports people. And they're all available on, on Kindle. But the other thing I love about it is that if you buy, for example, programming textbooks from O'Reilly or InformIT or one of these kind of resellers, if you like, um, you can actually download a version in Kindle format and then just pop it on into iTunes and then onto on the phone using the, 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 the Kindle app. So it's, it's, and read it on the phone using the Kindle app, I should say. It's very, very, very handy. It's good. And I know somebody who's been reading uh, PDFs using the Kindle app as well, so it, it, right. it'll handle a couple of different file formats. Yes, it will. Yeah. One of the other things we spoke about uh, last time we all met virtually was Android and its accessibility, and I think it's fair to say that Android has been gaining ground and catching up slowly with iOS. And Neil, you've been looking at Android a little bit since we all spoke last. I have, and it's been, um, it's been an interesting experience with um, Android. I um, am very impressed by the progress that Android has made in terms of accessibility, but it still is quite a clunky experience to use it. Um, I find that a lot of the commands that you need to use to um, access the system, the, um, the, the touchscreen system, just aren't as intuitive as they are in iOS. And for a while I thought, well, maybe that's because I'm used to the iOS commands and I just need to get used to um, the Android ones. But the reality is it isn't that. The, the fact is they're not consistent. They don't always work at the, at the same in the same way, in the same situation. There's a slide area and there's a slide spot that you use and it just doesn't work half the time. So it, to me, that's something which is just not something which an ordinary user would put up with. I do because I'm a geek and I quite enjoy the challenge. Neil, are you using stock Android? I am, yeah. I'm, I'm actually using a Google Nexus 7 tablet um, uh, 4.22 of the Android system. Um, so as, as, as Android basic as you can get, no extras thrown in by uh, any, of the, uh, any of the developers. Raw Android. Um, raw Android. Raw Android. Um, anybody else been playing with Android? Donald, are you you doing anything with Android at the moment? Not a thing. No, okay. I haven't looked at it at all, really. Um, I saw a Nexus 7 way back last year. I think the same day you saw it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, beyond that, no, I haven't really looked at it. I think Kerry has some. Yeah, I use now for my... Um, for another phone that's not my personal phone, I use Android on there. Um, 
and I still just find that it isn't as intuitive as iOS, like like Neil, excuse me, has said. Um, and it's Mrs. Now, and if I get shot by Android users for this, I apologize in advance. But to me, it seems to miss out basic things like um, yep. if you have an unread message, it doesn't say messages, one new item. If you get a missed call, it won't say phone, you know, one missed call or, you know, it doesn't really as far as I know, when I used it, um, when I used email with it last, it didn't do unread email counts. Just basic, basic, basic stuff like this. I haven't done so much of the uh, the web browsing type of stuff with it, but um, I mean, using Talkback is what I mean. But um, I just think, yeah, it does. It does still kind of lack some basic, basic stuff that you just don't even have to think about with iOS. We, we'll come back to, to mobile phones in a little while, Kerry, because I want to yeah. chat to you a bit about uh, some of the research you've been doing with Synaptic and, and one or yes. two other things. Yeah. But, Donal, uh, it, interesting um, that you mentioned to us just before we came on air a blog post that's been uh, doing the rounds lately by a gentleman called Chris, Ho- Chris Hofstader, uh, oh. all about, I suppose, screen reader innovation, if I can call it that at the moment. Yes, it's an interesting... For some reason, there seems to be a spate of this going around at the moment. I mean, on various lists that I've been on, there's a lot of discussion around it, which I think is actually very, very healthy. Um, I think for far, far too long, the blind community has essentially taken what it's given and been grateful. And I think now that there is a core group of users who are not quite content to just put up with that. So I can answer this wearing two... Hats, and I know Brian has an opinion on this. A lot of and a lot, a lot of his sentiments I agree with. Wearing the user's hat, I think certainly on the Apple side, they have done an absolutely magnificent job on I iOS. I personally believe that um, OS X accessibility is stagnant. Um, yep. I purchased my MacBook Pro back in 2010 and I was prepared to put up with the quirks and I work in 2010 because it wasn't out that long. I work with, which is the, for those who are not familiar with it, is the Mac equivalent of Word, Excel, PowerPoint. Uh, the Mac versions are Pages, Numbers and Keynote. And back in 2010, one was prepared to put up with these things because it was brand new. Three years later and absolutely nothing has changed. It is still an inaccessible pile of junk, frankly. Sorry, inaccessible is the wrong word. I would say unusable. Because technically it's probably accessible that everything is labelled and everything one, one can actually, through workarounds, maybe 25-step workarounds, one can actually achieve the same thing uh, as one can in Windows just far quicker. So I think iOS is, uh, is, is wonderful. And I think Apple uh, OS X is stagnant. I really do. I'm not going to comment too much on the Windows side of the house, Stuart, because I don't use it as much. Um, Mac has been my main machine for the last number of years. I suspect that's going to change um, because I'm just getting slightly tired of the lack of what I would call productivity apps that are actually available. Okay. Uh, Brian, the, 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 from a Windows perspective, and especially your work as a software developer for, in particular, the JAWS screen reader, what's your take on, on some of this stuff? I don't want to get into the merits of uh, Mac versus Windows, because frankly, I think we'll be here all night. <laughs> but, um, I, d- I do want to talk a little bit about uh, um, the, the article that you referred to. Um, I think it was a very well-written article, but um, I think it would be wrong to say 
and and to um, to think that Freedom Scientific in particular do not fix bugs in their products. Uh, they definitely do. I've been beta testing uh, Jaws, and I beta test many of their products actually, uh, but Jaws since version four point five, and I can tell you that we can see as testers the status of the various bugs that are, are being fixed. We can tell where they're at, what's happening, whether it's not reproducible. All the these kinds of things do actually get fixed, and there are hundreds of bugs which get squashed, you know, on a regular basis. And Freedom Scientific are very prolific now about sending out updates. There's usually a JAWS up update every six weeks or so, which they didn't used to be. Um, and some of the features, you're bound to get people who are saying, oh, this feature isn't very good, it's a complete waste of time, and so on. But perhaps they need to think about the bigger picture and the people that are actually using some of the features. Um, uh, Flexible Web would be a good example. It may not be used by the majority of people. Uh, that was a new feature introduced in JAWS 14. But it has great benefits to uh, many individuals who want to um, shield themselves from some of the uh, extraneous text that appears on websites that people don't really need to see. And also we use it a lot within uh, government departments when we're creating access solutions to uh, different applications because a lot of applications now are going browser-based, so they're hosted using Internet Explorer. We can use these kinds of tools to ensure that visually impaired people are very productive in the workplace. And that is what JAWS stands for, after all. So the, there is that, I suppose, power if you want to take the power. And if you, I suppose the key, what you're saying there, Brian, is training and a level of user understanding that this stuff exists. I think that's absolutely right. There is power there if you want to use it, um, but there's also a variety of tools um, for people who don't necessarily want to get themselves tangled up in, in what the web has to offer. Research it is a really good example of that, where what Freedom Scientific have done is they've, they've taken the core components of some of the most popular websites taken out all the nonsense that's there, all the references to regions and things like that, which people really don't understand. And they've left the user with a, a simple, plain interface that they can actually adapt to and, and work with while they build up their, their web coping strategies. Neil, any, any thoughts from your end around the screen reader innovation or, 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 um, or lack thereof? I have a lot of uh, sympathy with the points that Brian has made. Um, I think JAWS and other screen readers, and I'm thinking particularly of screen readers like NVDA and System Access, have made huge progress, actually, in the past few years. And I think Chris's article, whilst it was it made some good points, I think was a wee bit um, simplistic. Um, that said, I think there have been some um, areas where I think that... Um, Let's take JAWS as an example, um, where they've focused on things that perhaps that might not have been so advantageous. I think Flexible Web has been a fabulous development, and I would go as far as to say that's been one of the best developments in screen reader technology for many years. But that, that to me, says a lot about how, um, um, how little there has been, relatively speaking, in, in the years leading up to that. I take research it as, a, as an example of something which was 
Probably a great idea in principle, but I worry about it. It's not always reliable. Um, the very people who will most benefit from research it often get abandoned by it because it doesn't, it doesn't always work. Um, and as a former trainer, I would be much more interested in finding strategies to get them used to ordinary mainstream methods of accessing that information. But, you know, you have to accept that, that people have different preferences and everyone works differently. So I'm not dead set against research it, but I, I did feel that that was one area which I would have preferred that they'd, they'd, they'd spent less time on, frankly. But I do think that Flexible Web, yeah, a fabulous development and, and, and um, it would be great to see other screen, re- screen readers do the same thing. Well, if I do anything else after this, I have to learn how to use Flexible Web because it sounds like you guys really love it. Sorry, Don. Yeah, if, I, if I can come back in for a quick second, I think one, the two points that really jumped out at me from Chris's article today were, firstly, he did make the point that after his... This was a follow-up article to one that he posted eight days ago, eight, nine days ago, um, discussing, as he described, the death of innovation in screen reader, which, again, was another interesting article. What jumped out at me was he, he said today that the responses he got were absolutely heartbreaking, where people were actually losing jobs because of degradations in support for, as he described, in professional or productivity applications. And the interesting thing is there that I would just throw out, and I don't think any of us are going to be able to answer this, is where does responsibility for that accessibility start and end? Where does the screen reader's yeah. role start and the app developer's end and vice versa? Yeah. And I think that's something that actually Apple have done very well and that the APIs they've actually come up with have accessibility embedded into the OS. On the Windows side of the house, I, it's not quite as tightly embedded in the operating system. Windows 8 has made great strides towards that. Um, but it's not quite as tightly embedded, as I said. Um, so, you know, they were the two things that actually jumped out at me is that we can sit here and talk about this feature being great and that feature not being being good, but I suppose the, 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 the tragedy is that so many people depend on these things that maintaining support for things like Microsoft Project was the example that we used is absolutely key to maintaining employment for some people. And yeah. I suppose we can, we, can, we can sometimes just get that. Certainly as a, an academic, I can certainly get lost in the next grant and the next paper and you lose sight of these things, you know? No, I think it's a good point, Donald. And, and funny, I still struggle to do some things in Microsoft Access with JAWS. I, yes. I find yep. it quite yeah. difficult. Yeah. So, yeah. so I keep see that. And it's interesting, if someone asked me, and, and um, Donald, I think you, you would have were the, probably the first person I knew who was using JAWS, and, and I've been using it from, I think, version 2.5. The feature over the last five or six years, I think, was the best thing they ever put into JAWS was JAWS Tandem in version 10. Um, because, and I suppose, Brian, for people like yourself and, and maybe mm. Neil, and, and for those of us who may be supporting users, that, that was just such a brilliant development. It was an absolutely brilliant development, and many of us uh, still mm. use it, even those that aren't in the field. You know, you can you can at least um, help a friend out if they're in difficulty, and that's that's the great thing about it. Uh, I think, uh, to be fair, other screen readers do have similar functionality as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great to get Jaws tandem. One of the other things that happened early this year, and, and I know it'll be probably difficult for any of us to, to comment extensively on this, but I think it's something that we should mention, was uh, Zoom Text for Mac. And it's sort of interesting that AI Squared decided to go down this route because some of the low vision people I would have spoken to who are using the Mac, and it's really something we'll probably have to ask somebody like Robin Spinks when we're going to bring him on in a couple of months. Mm. But some of the low vision people I would have, would have talked to would have just said, Zoom, Zoom is just not good enough. It's just not there. 
And uh, it, it seems that AI Squared seem to have jumped into that space and by all accounts have done quite well. On a GPS front, and I don't know if any of you have, uh, I read an article by uh, Emma Tracy, actually, who's been on this podcast before, posted in Ouch in uh, February about this People Finder app um, that Sendero have released. And I, I don't know, I suppose they're, they're, they're saying it's just available for anyone who wants it. And if, you, if you're at a conference and there's a whole load of us and the four of us want to meet, we can have our People Finder app. So, oh, God. And it says, just, pick the, just pick up the damn phone. I know, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's an interesting yeah. and apparently it says hotter hotter you're getting near the person so so i suppose just for for uh, anyone listening who doesn't know this device allows you to uh, use this bluetooth on your phone and you can sort of create a favorite and and, you know i say i want to find donald and kerry and it it sort of steers me towards them (laughs) have any of you guys experienced it or or not no (laughs) i haven't experienced it but i can actually i mean brian says pick up the phone and yes that's 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 great but if you actually walk into a room with about 2,000 people and you're trying to actually find the person you're trying to find, it can actually be it can definitely be useful I think we do I think blind people for years have have had very good effective coping strategies in these situations we just call out the name of the person we're looking for and hey presto we find them (laughs) and I, I, I reckon that we'll probably do that a downside quicker than than, than someone using mm. an app to do the same job, really. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I haven't tried it, but it was just one of the interesting no, things. Um, last time we, we mentioned BlackBerry and we were kind of telling, does anybody care? And then, of course, uh, BlackBerry 10 came out and got some really good reviews, to be fair, mm. in the mainstream. And uh, the, Z10, um, the Z10 came out with the touchscreen device and then the Q10 and some, by my understanding, again, from a low vision perspective, is some really good uh, low vision uh, tweaks built into that OS, but no screen reading support. Was anyone disappointed or, or have any strong Not feelings? Surprised. Not surprised. Yeah. Wasn't really on my Not radar, to be honest with no. you. Okay. okay. And I, know, I noticed that there are more um, cutbacks at, uh, at BlackBerry now. Uh, what used to be RIM. Um, I, I do fear, I said this I think last time around, I do fear for the future of RIM and for BlackBerry, and that fear is no, not lessened now. The only reason why I would have any uh, kind of interest in it from now, from the perspective of somebody who does kind of that kind of training, mobile technology training, as it were, is just that I like to be able to say to people, well, you have five choices or six choices. Here's what you can, you know, here's what you can do. And in terms of OSs at the moment, our choices as, um, obviously I can't comment on the low vision stuff, but as uh, blind users are kind of limited enough. So it would have been nice to just be able to say, well, this is another uh, tool in the box. You can try it out and see how you go, but we we can't do that now, so... My understanding just from uh, BlackBerry's sort of accessibility group is that they've been prioritizing based on customer, on number of customer feedback. So they were going low vision, hard of hearing, and and I don't know, I think screen reading might be next, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, the, the, other, the other thing I suppose that I wanted to mention on a phone's uh, slant as well was the sort of major move towards the discontinuation of Symbian. It's officially been dropped by Nokia, uh, although it was last year, I think even when we spoke. And uh, handsets, uh, Symbian handsets now, certainly in Ireland and I think in the UK, and Neil, probably even in New Zealand, are, are becoming very difficult to get hold of. Um, yes. So for those people who wanted button phones, and I think we all went through a time of using talks, it, those days are, are fast disappearing. I think it's interesting, Stuart, when we talked about innovation and screen reader, I think Brandon Gruber are 
two innovators who often get overlooked in this space. I mean, yeah. talks was yeah. the major reason that iOS is here, that we're yeah. all actually Absolutely. talking about mobile I phones. Completely agree. Yeah. And um, yes. Torsten was a lovely man. I, I didn't know the other gentleman, but I mean, they were true innovators, and yeah. I I think we all owe those guys a huge debt. And we do, yeah. absolutely. For people who are not interested in having the latest and greatest smartphone. Symbian and button-based Nokia phones offered a wonderful alternative, and I, I personally, I'm sorry to see it go. Me too. Um, I, I think it's it's it's, it's a shame. Too. Yeah, it is definitely it is because it's it's not everybody that um, and uh, Stuart actually this is kind of what what we wanted to talk about as well. It's not everybody that wants the kind of um, when I say complex, I I use that term kind of loosely in in this space. I would use that term loosely, but it's not everyone that is able for or wants to have the kind of complex operations and all the bells and whistles, as it were, of what goes along with you know smartphone operation. And and for those people um, whom I know some of, talks was a wonderful alternative because it still meant you got to communicate with all your friends or whatever by text message and this kind of thing, but just very, very simply, but in a very nice way with the use of the um, eloquence uh, engine, you know? So, um, Kerry, just just briefly on that point, there, because there are, I suppose, some solutions coming out at the moment that may be of interest to people. Mm. Um, one that you were exploring was Synaptic. <clears throat> yes. Um, I had um, the fortunate experience of going to uh, Site Village, which was just... Uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, um, and while I was there, I discovered um, this product called Synaptic. And basically, what it is is it sits on top of the Android platform, and um, it is developed by the same um, developer that developed that wrote Guide uh, for the PC. And so, what it is really, in essence, is is Guide for mobile phones, and it just completely simplifies the whole interface and kind of gives you the core features as it were and uh, out of the whole exhibition it was what I was most excited about and that says something really I think. Just to explain for people who don't maybe know, a guide is a method by which one could access certain parts of the computer via a menu system yeah. uh, without getting caught up in the complexities of Windows and uh, this seems to be what uh, Synaptic have done with the, the mobile phone. So some interesting stuff in the mobile space coming down the line uh, in the next little while. Yeah. Um, folks, I'm conscious we've covered a, a, a a good bit of, of stuff in the last little while and I'm conscious of everyone's time. Um, so what I'd like to do maybe before we finish is go around the, the our virtual table and ask each of you maybe just what do you, what are you really wanting to happen, let's say, by the end of the year from a, a technology or indeed an assistive technology point of view? And it can be anything at all that you're particularly maybe passionate about. Uh, what are you looking for? Maybe we, we start with, with Brian. Okay, thanks, Stuart. One of the interesting things which has happened over the last few months is the increase to the social media space for visually impaired people. And by that, I'm actually referring to um, Facebook because there has been uh, a revamp, a reworking of the uh, Ceratec product called uh, the Socializer, uh, which is part of their system access range of products. And this gives access to a variety of social media tools, such as uh, Facebook and Twitter. 
There's also been the introduction of Social Eyes from GW Micro, and this provides access to Facebook. And this is what a lot of people have actually want, been wanting to do for some time. They've been wanting to access Facebook in a really easy-to-use way because they don't necessarily want to manage the, the website, which keeps changing. So I really welcome this. And what I'd actually like, as I've said a number of times publicly before, is for um, an organization or a company to take on the responsibility, the official responsibility of providing um, a usable client for Twitter. Because Twitter is used far more than Facebook, and I don't think that visually impaired people, while it's helpful at the moment, should be at the mercy of volunteers. And I don't use that lightly. I think there needs to be a company developing this sort of thing who has a very good technical and support infrastructure who can um, keep pace with any changes that Twitter may be making, but can also provide on-the-ground support to customers who want to get into uh, what is a very useful social uh, network. And, and um, I presume then, Brian, that, that client, if, if that happened, because the, uh, the socialiser and the socialise clients are, um, are paid for, and, and, and you would think it's, it's quite okay then for people to, to pay for I, a Twitter I client. absolutely do. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I think if you, not only um, if you want something of quality, you need to pay for it, but also the support that I mentioned has to come from somewhere. And if you want technical support specialists who are going to field the inquiries and provide quality answers to the that the inquiries coming in, yes, it does have to be paid for. Okay, uh, Donald, are you what? What excites you? What are you passionate about over the next six months? I think the thing that actually has excited me most this year, and I'm really, really looking forward to, is um, a device called the TI84. It is a new talking graphing calculator. Um, not relevant to everybody. I freely accept that. But the one of the major problems we've had over the last number of years actually is the fact that a lot of blind secondary school high school students don't go on to university to study science technology engineering and mathematics because of a lack of access to mathematics its accessibility is is not where it should be so some guys have taken a texas instruments calculator they have a little bolt-on unit that they put on it and they have rendered that calculator accessible and i was fortunate enough to play with an early prototype at csun and again, like Kerry with an optic area, this is the one thing that really jumped out at me as it has potential. It was the standout thing that I saw at CSUN. And um, I think we have to start looking at getting far more of our blind children to go on to third-level education in terms of further employment, in terms of further education, and to do that, we need to actually render things like the sciences accessible. And I really do believe that this calculator represents a huge leap forward. Um, what it does is it is a complex scientific calculator that will enable uh, the sonification or audio presentation of graphs of equations. So, for example, if you have a sine wave, it will give you an audio presentation of that with different sounds to represent different parts of the graph. And that was released, I saw it on the blind math list last Thursday or Friday, so it is available. <coughs> Whether it's available outside the US or not now, I don't know. Uh, I'm attempting to find out, but that's the one piece of tech that actually excites me, and going forward I think it's actually very, very important, and it's, it's, it's a great 
uh, I'm going to use the word invention, actually, because yeah. a lot of the work and the software and the hardware actually went into it is, is, is very, very good. And the guys who did it deserve huge, huge credit. It's a, it's a very, very, very good piece of work. And I think also, Donald, one of the things that impressed me about that was we, we spoke on the April edition of our podcast, actually, to Sina Baram, who was, I think, an advisor to that group. And he's, that's correct. he's blind himself, and he really, really has a thorough understanding of the subject. Yeah, and that's quite uh, correct. It's, it's, it, is, it is genuinely the one piece of tech in the last, I would say, five or six years that I've, I have looked at, and it really represents a jump forward in access to education and further professional uh, activities for blind people. So, yeah, that's got me excited. It's, okay. it's good. It's very good. Something that needs to be fostered and followed up on. Uh, Neil, what's exciting you or what will be exciting you over the next few months? I'm looking out for the release of iOS 7, I mean, in particular, Braille support. Um, I think I mentioned in our last podcast together that I'm interested in how Apple supports Braille. It doesn't do it wonderfully at the moment in iOS 7. It does it adequately. Um, I'd like to see improvements for that. So that is my big thing. And similarly, I'd like to see better Braille support in some of the other screen readers that are around, like NVDA, which has done a great job in supporting Braille, but on a very basic level. And I think for Braille users, and I'm thinking particularly of deafblind users, that's going to be essential in, in, the, t- in the months and years to come. Kerry, what's, uh, what's jumping out at you or exciting you over the next couple of months? Um, I think something that I will be very passionate about um, would be that there should be something um, akin to talks developed and I would like to see um, you know, a phone manufacturer, whoever that may be, um, embrace assistive technology on kind of button-based um, phones again, if I can call them button-based phones. Um, I think that, you know, I, I would encourage people who I, who I feel would benefit from smartphones and who I feel would be, um, you know, able to use them, etc., to absolutely do that. But I feel even if there is somebody that I feel would be able for a smartphone but that just doesn't want one that they should have the choice to say actually no I don't want to do this I just want you know something simple like I say kind of akin to talks and that that should be everyone's choice um so I'd love to see something uh, like that come on to come on come in, come to fruition in the next few months because there should be choice you know okay exciting stuff ahead for us all i think and a lot to be watchful of as always kerry neil donal and brian thanks a million for coming on and uh let's keep in touch with you guys hope we can chat to you again in the not too distant future but for the moment guys thanks a million thank, thank you very you. much thank you listening to NCBI's technology podcast. I'm at Site Village in Birmingham and managed to escape the madness of the exhibition to talk with Eric Damery, product manager for JAWS at Freedom Scientific. Eric, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Stuart. Great to have you. Uh, We've just been uh, listening to and watching your presentation on JAWS 15 and something that I suppose everybody has been talking about lately and JAWS on a Microsoft Surface tablet. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, uh, this is actually my second Microsoft Surface tablet. Let me start with uh, telling you that. I didn't say anything in the presentation about it, but when I first looked at the Surface Pro, um, I liked the form factor and everything, but they put the function key on the right side of the keyboard, and you needed to use the FN key 
to be able to get to F1 through F12. And uh, so on a laptop layout with caps lock, FN, and F7 to get a links list was a pretty tough reach. So I could find no way to, to change that and toggle it so that the FN key wasn't required. And I ended up returning the surface because I figured I'm not going to go out and promote it. Then later someone actually discovered that if you hold down the caps lock and the FN at the same time, it toggles it automatically. Mm -hmm. Microsoft couldn't tell me that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. somebody figured it out. So I went back out and bought a Surface because I think it's a great solution. Now, the Surface, because you were explaining, there's a keyboard that can clip on, the keyboard can be taken off, and essentially you have a, a, a tablet that you can carry with you, right? Right. It's a little thicker tablet than people would probably be used to um, because it is actually a, a full-blown PC, so it's a little more than most of the tablets on the market. Uh, but it's got a, a nice little magnetic keyboard connector. You just get it in the general vicinity and it snaps right into place and you can tear it off and use it as just a tablet or you can fold the keyboard underneath it and use it as a tablet. Or a kickstand pops out of the back of the tablet device to kind of support it and let the monitor lean back a little bit and then the keyboard lays flat on the table so you can just sit at a desk and use it as you would a, a laptop. And you were making the point that there is a distinction between uh, the, the Pro and the standards and it's important in, in terms of, of JAWS anyway that people get the Pro. Right. So if someone is looking at a tablet and considering the Microsoft Surface, there's a Pro version and one called RT. RT is a closed system that you can't install any of the assistive technology on today that you might be using on a PC. So don't get the RT. Get the Pro version. And you can also distinguish between the two because... RT is is less than half the price of the Pro one. Okay. So let's talk a bit about JAWS 15 because even I've, I've been using Windows 8 on JAWS 14 for a while, but I haven't really used any, let's say, new style Windows 8 apps. I've been in the uh, old desktop mode. And you, you've been talking a little bit about the idea of touch uh, using the tablet with some of the new Windows 8 apps. And I guess it's not too unsimilar to the way we may have used touch with things like iOS. Exactly. And... Uh I think that most of these new modern apps that you get on Windows 8 are really designed to be used by someone who's going to be gesturing on a screen and swiping things. It's not really designed for keyboard use. And, um, and so out of the box with 14, most of these apps are very, very clunky at best. And uh, they don't really work all that well. But with 15, we introduced a touch cursor mode in JAWS, um, which lets JAWS navigate these apps in a way that's much more suitable uh, in, the, in the way they were designed. So if you have a tablet with a touch screen, when you go into some of these apps, like the News app, for instance, which is the one that I strongly recommend people really go in and look at once they get JAWS 15, and that News app, you can gesture with a single finger up and down to move through the different regions and you can right swipe to move then into the articles and have them read. So, and will uh, will touch go across the whole Windows 8 experience on the tablet? In other words, if you're using a desktop app like say Office 2010, could you use touch in say so that's, Outlook? That's a great question. So I think the answer is yes, you could and you will use touch if you have a surface well let's start if you were a sighted individual and you had a surface pro you might use touch to to do like outlook and i've used it with microsoft outlook to touch on the mail message 
to open it and then touch the X to close it and then touch the delete spot on the application to uh, to have that message deleted. So yes, you can read through and work with applications using touch and there is a, um, a keyboard, an on-screen keyboard that a sighted person will use to touch to actually type things in. But for the most part, I like to think of a tablet as a consuming device rather than a producing device. Yeah. So you will read information, you browse web pages, you'll review your emails, but when you decide that you're going to compose a, an email message or write a document or create a spreadsheet or interact with a spreadsheet, you'll find yourself making your way back to a computer or putting a real keyboard attached to it or Bluetooth to it and really driving it with a keyboard, even if you're a sighted person. Okay, and one of the other things you mentioned in your presentation, and as somebody who uses the Focus 14 a lot with my iDevice, the idea of connecting your Braille display to your Surface and working away. Yes, and that same touch support that we're talking about using fingers touching the screen, we've taken, taken it a step further and we've built the equivalent to every one of the on-screen gestures that you would normally do on a touch device so that you can do each and every one of these gestures right from the keyboard or from a braille display that's Bluetooth connected to it. So you can, you don't even really need a touch screen and that's what I tell folks. Just get a real good computer running Windows 8 and you'll be able to do all the gestures because you'll just use your keyboard to do it. Okay. So there's exciting things coming in Windows 8, whether you're using a computer or you choose to go towards a tablet. Um, th there's a few other things that, that certainly I found interesting, and one is in relation to uh, some changes you, you guys are making with Braille displays. Yes, we've uh, enhanced the Braille experience significantly, um, changing and improving structured mode to keep information more centrally located on the display in, in the appropriate spot. So as you're moving through a dialog box, you're not going to be, as you move to a new control, moving your finger around the display to find what was probably important because whatever was really important will always appear in about the same spot. So it'll be really nice. I think it'll make that Braille experience much better. We've also incorporated and done a lot of work on the connection of these displays so that once you've paired your Bluetooth Braille display, for instance, with a PC or a tablet with JAWS, and uh, and then left and then come back, turn on your computer, JAWS is running, you turn on your Braille display, Braille will instantly start to, to go. You don't have to restart JAWS or anything, it'll just, it'll just automatically find it and start to work. And you can hot swap displays now. So oh. if you were using a display in Bluetooth and walk up with a, another display with a USB connector and just plug it into the computer, it'll automatically switch to the the new display. Without having to restart JAWS. Exactly. Excellent. Um, a history of recently spoken messages sounds like a, a, a feature that in a way people might have thought was there for ages but it wasn't and now it's going to be present in JAWS 15. That's right. So we had the ability in Braille to go to speech box mode to go back and review what had been spoken previously but we didn't have the ability to capture the information um, of what was spoken in a way that we could then read it back. And so it's kind of a history mode. The command is going to be um, layered mode, insert space, and the letter H for history. And it will populate the, um, it'll populate a window with the text which had recently been spoken by JAWS. I think it goes back a hundred lines or something. 
And this is going to be a nice feature, I think, for a lot of people who are wondering what was all of that it had just spoken and I need to capture that information because yeah. I have to give it to somebody. Yeah. So it'll speak everything, you'll stop, do a history, go into the window, control A to select it all, control C to copy it, and then paste it into an email message and say, this is what JAWS is saying. Okay. <laughs> and on the rare occasions, Eric, very rare when JAWS might crash, you, you have a, a solution for us. Well, we've had a feature, actually there's been a feature in JAWS for a while to dump JAWS at any time. Uh, insert Windows key F4. If you add the Windows key to the insert F4 to unload JAWS, it will force JAWS to unload and create a dump. So if you got into a state where JAWS seemed to be hanging, you could dump it and it would create a dump file and that dump file is put one level higher than your user settings. So you go to the uh, explore my settings and go back one level with the backspace you would find those dump files okay. there but in JAWS 15 in the event JAWS does crash for whatever reason it will create that dump and it will give you an opportunity to say I'd like to have this sent to Freedom Scientific let it go in fact if this ever happens again always send it to Freedom Scientific or you can choose not to and when those reports come in, it will be looked at immediately by development, and they will be hopefully able to identify what the culprits might be out there that are causing such problems, and we can just fix them quickly, and they'll show up in an update. In updates, yeah. So yeah. It, it obviously, it makes a lot of sense for people to send, send these things in when yep. it's in the Yeah, it'll help. And in the write-up for JAWS 15, there'll be a description of the kinds of things that it's capturing and sending, but it, it won't be any... Uh, personal information. Uh, the NSA has all of that. We won't. We won't <laughs> okay. be taking it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so we're recording. This is middle of July. This podcast is going to be going out in, in early August when people are listening right now. And you're going to public beta in the first of September. Yes, first week, first week. First week in September is our target each year, and I see no reason why we're not going to make it. We're in very good shape right now with Jaws 15. There's a few loose ends to wrap up and do our final private beta testing over the summer here. And uh, we will hope that thousands of users, as always, start to download the public beta as soon as it comes out. And then uh, the release will fall around the last week in October. Okay. Um, so people, sh people can, once the public beta goes out, install it. If you, have, if you either have JAWS 14 or an early version, earlier version, you can still in install JAWS 15 on your machine, right? That's right. And uh, it, you know, we test this quite a bit to make sure that uh, in no way are we going to hinder the earlier releases that you have installed so they'll be okay okay we're looking forward to uh, playing with jaws 15 thanks for giving us your time today eric and um hope to catch up with you soon on the podcast excellent thank you Stuart, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon Many thanks there to Eric Damery for that uh, interview. It was really great to catch up with Eric. Anyone who knows JAWS and who knows Freedom Scientific, Eric is sort of legendary, I think it's okay to say. Um, and apologies about the quality of that interview. We were in quite a, a sort of an echoey kind of room and there was some sort of noise going on outside as well. But um, we only get one chance to grab Eric and that's what we decided to do. One of the things that came up earlier on in the podcast, if you were listening to our panel discussion, and thanks again, 
again to Brian, Neil, Kerry and Donal. Was this issue of social networking and people wanting to take advantage of social networking and some of the moves that have taken place over the last couple of months to make social networking a little more accessible, and I think in particular Facebook. In response to this, we're going to start looking on the September edition at the first of the accessible Facebook options that's presented in the Socializer, which is a product from the Serotech Corporation. And we'll find out what they've been doing to make that Facebook experience a little nicer. Uh, I must say, I've only rediscovered Facebook in the last couple of weeks. And one thing I have noticed, especially for family and, and people who are spread a little bit throughout the world, is there's an awful lot more people using Facebook than there are using Twitter. And I've actually reconnected with some cousins who I probably haven't seen in about 15 years. So, for that reason alone, I am finding Facebook useful. Anyway, enough rambling from me. That's just about it from the August edition of our podcast. Thanks to all our contributors. Uh, next month, amongst other things, with our Zero Tech Socializer, we're also going to be looking at accessible GPS in a presentation made by Mike May of Sendero, which we recorded at Site Village. Until September, this is Stuart Lawler saying take care, have a good month, and thank you for listening to our technology podcast. Bye-bye.